Anyway, if you didn't hear what I said, I want to invite you and ask you to turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have any memory, you can remember the last time I preached was out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this morning I want us to look at something. Next week we're going to kick off our holiday sermon series. It'll be our holiday meal and we'll be looking towards Christmas and that great, great gift. But you know, Christmas, the greatest thing about Christmas is there's no greater display of God's love than the gift of His Son. Amen? And you know, we just sang that, oh, how He loves you and me. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our frail, carnal, worldly condition to know and understand how much God does love us. See, the love of God is not dependent on who you are and how you act. The amazing thing about God, He loves the bad as good as same as he loves the good. He loves you when you're at your best. Of course he does. But he loves you the same even when you're at your worst because God's love is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's so unconditional, it's beyond our ability to even realize. And it's so sacrificial, it's beyond our ability to even think about, much less understand. Yet, The Bible demonstrates our love through Christ in the most fullest picture of God's love being displayed to us. The Bible actually says that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were in our sins. And that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish. The love of God So when I talk about love today, I'm not talking about the world's version or the corrupted understanding of love that most of us have. I'm talking about God's love. And you know, if you look right here, you knew last time we was looking at Paul and to understand the context of what he's saying, he was speaking towards the church and that the church had been given special enablements, gifts to each one of you if you're saved, that God gave you a spiritual blessing that allowed you to participate in the activities of the church to do ministries, to accomplish certain things that you were gifted to do. And those gifts are wonderful. And he said, if you remember, and if you look with me in chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And he tells us in verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us. Man, that's unbelievable. But each one of us has been given a manifestation of the Spirit if we're born again. Look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. The true church, the body of Christ, the head, Jesus, is up there right now. And as people are saved, He gives each person a gift, an enablement. He places them where He wants. If God led you here, if you're where God wants you to be, if you're in the local body of Christ where God points you, He had a purpose. What is that purpose? Well, look right above there. He says in verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. We all got different gifts. Why? Because there are diversities of ministries. We all got different ministries that we're supposed to be involved in. And then look what He says right below that. And there are diversities of activities, but the same Lord. God gave us a spiritual ability to be involved in the activities of his work on earth to accomplish ministry that glorifies him and blesses other people. Now, as awesome as that is, that's an unbelievable thing. 
But this church had begun to focus on the gifts in an ungodly way. They began to be more zealous for gifts, and they wanted the gifts. And so that's what he's telling us. And if you look at the end of chapter 12, to understand what he's talking about in chapter 13, I know we make this the official wedding chapter, but I've never been to a wedding yet where it was taught correctly. We just take it and say love, and we give all these definitions. But I want you to understand what Paul is saying here. And this is where I get the title of the sermon. The last verse of chapter 12, as he's closing on the teachings that he was doing on spiritual gifts, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Certainly, we should desire. Some of us need to have the gift of prophecy. Some of us need the gift of administration. Some of us need all the gifts that were given for the church to be healthy and to properly display Christ. Because when we are not working in our gifted areas, in the activities we're supposed to be, doing the ministry we're supposed to do, the church is not properly represented. But guys, there is something missing also in the church that Paul says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Better than the greatest gifts. Paul, you can see in his writings, favored the gift of prophecy and knowledge. The gift of understanding, because that, he said, trumped tongues they like tongues because tongues brought attention to them, and that's all part of it. But what Paul is telling them there, I want to show you a better way, a more excellent way. And if you look, he begins to teach about love, and he gives us the greatest description, the most concise picture of God's love, not only in the Bible, but anywhere on earth in this chapter. You'll never see what God says love is more than this chapter. But I want you to understand what he's saying. He's saying it doesn't matter how many gifts you have. It doesn't matter how many ministries you got going and how active you are and how enabled and blessed you are with the spiritual gifts of my grace. If you have not love, they will profit you nothing. They will accomplish nothing. They will do nothing. A lot of us has got a lot of God's grace but a little of God's love. And friends, today there's nothing more important than is the love of Jesus in your heart. His love. The love only He can put there. The love that comes supernaturally, just like a super gift that gives you special abilities to do things you couldn't do without it. God's love is the same way. It helps you love people you can't love without Jesus. It helps you to endure things you can't endure without Jesus. Because that's how powerful love is. It helps you to forgive people. It helps you to maintain relationships. And it helps you to keep on going for Christ. Look at what he goes on and says here. He says, and now abide faith, hope, love, and these three. But the greatest of these is love. How important is faith? You can't get saved without faith. You can't receive grace without faith. It says, well, we are saved by grace through faith and not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Anything you receive from God comes from believing him enough to trust him. That's faith. And how important is hope? As you grow in knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he's promised, it gives you great hope. And when you lose hope, what do you have left? But friends, out of those three great, great blessings that come from God, Paul says, faith and hope, as great as they are, the greatest of these is love. 
So what does he say in the next chapter? The first thing in chapter 14, the very next verse. Now remember, these wasn't in chapters and verses when he wrote this. They were all together, so this goes together. He said, pursue love. Pursue love. Desire these gifts. Desire to know what your gift is and the desire to be involved with the activity your gift enables you to be a part of and partake in ministry for the sake of the Lord and exercise your gift. But he said, but before that, I want to show you a more excellent way. I want to show you that you need to pursue love and desire your gift. If you look at it in some of the other translations, look what he says. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts. I love the New Living Translation. Let love be your highest goal. Some of you may have been stirred enough to get curious enough and maybe got under conviction enough that you went and took the spiritual gifts test. <laughs> I hope you did. Because if you don't know your spiritual gifts test, you're never going to fulfill your Christian ministry or your mission or your purpose for why God put you in his church. If you didn't, don't worry, there's time to repent. God will let you try next week. But even if you knew your gift and you were practicing your gift and you were right in the middle of God's activity that he wants you to do, involved with the ministry he placed you here to do, but if you're doing without love, Paul said it ain't going to accomplish anything. It won't accomplish nothing. See, love is greater, it's more excellent than the best spiritual gifts that are available in the church. And friends, I'm not talking about just any love. I'm talking about God's love. Not the corrupted love that most of us claim as love. And friends, I want you to see what Paul says if you don't believe me. Look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 13. He says, this was the gift they all wanted. This was the one they desired and were zealous to have. Tongues. We want to look spiritual. Paul said, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I've become clanging and cymbal, sounding brass. If we just let him get up here by himself, and Trevor could beat this thing. But Trevor, all you was allowed to do is hit the cymbal and clang on the brass for the whole worship service. No other instrument, nothing else. How many of you would like that? Be irritating. In fact, I think some of this irritates people anyway. But the fact of the matter is, that's what he says you would be like if you didn't have love and you spoke with tongues of angels and of men. Not only that, look at what he says right in the next verse. And though I have the gift of prophecy, that's preaching, and understand all mysteries, you know the Bible inside and out, and you have all knowledge, and though you have faith, Enough faith to even remove mountains, but you have not love. Paul said, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And then, guys, giving. We're giving now. We're asking people to give to Lottie Moon. We're asking people to give above and beyond their tithe to give to a parking lot. But look what Paul says. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, sacrificed, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. And then he goes into what I believe is the greatest definition of love. But listen, I want you to understand something. Not just any love. In English, we only got one word for love. One. There were several in the Greek. In New Testament times, three words primarily. There were more than three even. But there's three primarily words that you will find in the New Testament Greek original text. These words were used by the Greek-speaking world of their day. 
You've heard some of them if you've been in the church long. Eros, that's the erotic type of love that refers to sexual love, desire. That's the lowest form of love. Phileo refers to tender affection, such as toward a friend or a family member. That's the most found word used for love in the New Testament Bible. And it's a word, if you think about this, the word eros, this word was never used in the New Testament nor the Septuagint, not even once. But it was the most common, it was in fact commonly used in Greek literature of their time. The word phileo refers to tender affection, such as toward that friend or family. It is very common in the New Testament and in extra-biblical literature, Greek literature. It's used to express God's love for his son, the son's love for the father. It's used in a lot of ways, but guys, the word agape. It was a very rare word. In fact, it was the least found word anywhere in extra-biblical Greek secular literature. You never found the word agape. It was a word that they very seldom used. It refers to a love that is unconditional, that is sacrificial. It's not really speaking about a feeling. It's not really speaking about just something. And now it's speaking about an action. That's why God's love, the agape love, is always shown in him doing something, giving his son, his son dying for us. Him, it, and agape love is not based on what you feel. It's based on what you're committed to. And friends, listen, it is rarely used and very seldom found in Greek literature. But I want you to think about this. You'll see why. True love, God's love. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, primarily in verses 4 through 8, chapter 13, is the most accurately defined description of God's kind of love. I forgot to put of up there. But I want you to look at what he says, his love, the kind of love that he's talking about us having. Look at what he says. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy primarily others. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't show off. Love is not puffed up. It's not full of pride. Look at me. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, that's sin, but it rejoices in the truth. And look at what he says. This is why love is so important. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Only love never fails. Faith will fail us. Hope fails us. But Paul said the greatest of these is love because love never fails. I want you to think about this with me when we look at this. The love that God makes available to us is so important to the church because it's not enough to be given these gifts. God gave us each a blessing. He gave Jonathan an ability to do something. It's not a spiritual gift, but it's a spiritual talent. It's ability. He can sing. He knows music. He also has other gifts that comes from the grace of God. That boy has the gift of leadership. He has the gift of shepherding. Man, he didn't just up here getting him to play music. 
He's influencing them for Christ. I don't want to blow their horn, but I just was talking to Josh about how he witnessed to a Muslim this week. and They're all reading through their Bible. Why? Because he led them to. And each of you have abilities that if you are where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do, are going to be affecting other people. They're going to be influenced by you to the fact that they follow you. You said, even me? Yeah. You put the right kid in a nursery, and kids run to them. <laughs> kids love them. Kids want to be around them. You put the right person in a Sunday school class, and you have to make room for that class pretty quickly because they're gifted with the ability to teach and understand and have knowledge of the word to the point that they can give it away to a person can get something from it. You see, the gifts are given not for you. They're given for others. They're not for your benefit. They're not for your profit. For they're the profit of everybody else. And what makes you more effective to be profitable to others even more than your spiritual gift that God gave you is your ability to love. Without love, the greatest gift just irritates you like a clanking cymbal. The greatest sacrifice to give your body will profit you nothing. To know everything the Bible has to tell and to understand it and be aware of all mysteries of truth and have not loved, it'll profit you nothing. You'll be nothing. But friends, listen. Love, let me show you just three things that love does we can find in this text. In the church, love enriches. You see, as great as those gifts are, as great as those spiritual abilities are, as great as the ministries of the church and the activities of the church are, without love, they don't do anything. They must be enriched. And you can take the best spiritual gift, and when you put love in it, it fulfills it. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? You can take the most spiritual-looking person with the most knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, the Bible says. Some of the most knowledgeable people with the Word of God run more people off from God than draw people to Him because they beat people over the head with the truth instead of share with them truth and love. And friends, listen, I'm not here to compromise. I'm not here to say we need to tone down the truth. We need to uphold the truth. But we need to do it with a heart filled with the love of Jesus. Love like this. This is... Love that you can't make on your own by just coming to church every Sunday. This is the church that religion, this is the, re the love that religion doesn't like. Because religion is about, look what I did for you, God. But a loving relationship with Christ is about what God's doing for you. And it's about everyone knowing how good God is, not how good I am or how good we are. It ain't what we build. It ain't what we get doing. It ain't the activities we have going. It's the love of Christ in those activities that will grow a church. When we're more worried about other things like ministries and organizations and offerings, then God's people, the church, will suffer no matter how gifted and how many abilities and how many activities you can produce in your carnal flesh. Because it's only when the love of God gets a hold of it that it is enhanced, it's enriched, it's fulfilled, and it accomplishes what it's supposed to do. 
Because love is what builds up a church. Love edifies. And friends, those gifts on their own, they don't, they divided this church. They tore down this church. Everyone was like, look at me, I'm spiritual, I'm speaking in tongues. And they were all saying, look at me, I have the gift of prophecy. It was all about me. Look at who I am in the church. They even divided over the preachers they wanted to follow. We follow Paul. We follow Apollo. Some said, I'm so spiritual, I only follow Jesus. Friends, listen, if you're divided over who you listen to and who you don't listen to, friends, it's obvious we listen to Jesus. But when God gives you a gift of a pastor, of a teacher, of a shepherd, that's not something we're to argue over. We're to bring glory to God over. And friends, listen, there's only one shepherd, Jesus, and God puts shepherds in the church. The church doesn't pick their shepherds. The head of the church picks his under-shepherds. And not everybody gets to be the shepherd. Not everybody gets to do what they wish they could do. And when everybody's doing what they want to do in a spirit of love, it edifies and it builds up the church. I don't know about y'all, but I'm drawn to love. How about y'all? I'm appalled to the absence of it. Who wants to be around unloving people who are selfish and self-centered and all they're about is themselves. Do you want to be by them? Do you know what that most accurately describes? A person who is self-centered, wants all the attention on them, and when they don't get it, they do things that are wrong to make sure they get the attention they need. You know what does that? A baby. A baby. They don't get what they want. <laughs> Yet I can remember a while back, we was at the store, and how many of y'all, when y'all was little, showed out in the store once? I wanted this. Well, if I don't get this, I'm going to embarrass you, and you're going to wish you never came in this store. Ah! When my mama got that toy out of my hand and got through whooping me, I was so glad to get to that car. And then when I got home and she told my daddy, I didn't want to go shopping with mama again. But you know, that's what happens when you're a baby. But you see, edification, the gifts are to edify us, to grow us, to unify us to where we're no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of trickery and doctrine, but that we all grow up together to be mature, complete in Christ under his headship. And that can't happen without love. Love is what helps us to grow. Love is the fire that keeps us moving in the direction we need to go. And friends, if you don't believe me, look at what he says he's talking about here. After he gives this unbelievable description of love, and he says, love never fails. Then he goes to list in these gifts, whether it's prophecies, look at verse 8. They're going to fail. Whether they're tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. When? When we all come to the fullness of the end of this journey, what is that? When we stand in Christ, in his presence, and the edification is complete. We've been justified. We've been in the process all of our Christian life being sanctified. And at the moment, salvation allows us into the presence of God. We're glorified. We're given 
the edification is completed and we're given that body that Christ bought and paid for at Calvary that his spirit sealed you with to make sure it will happen. And, and when that happens, look at what he says. For now we know in part. We prophesy in part. I don't know everything in this Bible. Do you understand in it? I know the Bible has everything I need to know, but I sure ain't found it all yet. But we know in part. I preach in part. I don't know everything. I can't tell you every single thing. But one day I will. And one day you will. Look at what he says. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is part will be done away with. And look, he's referring us to children. When we was a child, we spoke like a child. We understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, when we're completed in this process that we're growing in, but then when we face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall just as I also am known. You know how you'll be known? You'll be like him. You'll be as him. You'll be complete in what God's doing in our life. He's building us up to grow us, not to leave us like he found us, to mature us. You see, that was the problem with this church. If you flip back with me, look at what Paul says about them in verse 1 of chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to a spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. If a carnal person is a babe in Christ, then a spiritual person is an adult, mature person in Christ. And look at what he says about them. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. For are you still carnal? For where there are, and look at what he's got, the absence of love. Where there's envy, he said love doesn't envy. Where there's strife, love's not divided. And where there's divisions among you. And are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You see, the difference between a church that's mature and healthy and everyone's where God wants them to be is that the main thing that is making them who they are is love. Not their love, not their version of love, the love of God that edifies them, that built them up to become the people God wants them to be, spiritually mature people, people like Jesus. And friends, listen, it's only the love that helps a person endure in the faith. You see, in the church, love endures. Look at what he says about it. He says, love never fails. Right above that, he says, love endures all things. You know why so many people church hop? Because they don't really love that church. You know why so many people get divorced? They don't really love that person. They love the idea of marriage and what they thought marriage was going to be and what they expected to get out of marriage and what they say marriage ought to be like. But when that person who is weak and frail and a sinner fails what will keep them in that is not marriage it's a relationship a relationship that's based on love anybody here that's been married a long time you ain't married the perfect woman or the perfect man because there ain't one but you love them enough to where you endure you don't quit because you value that relationship more than their failure you know what's wrong with the church today? People come to church for what the church can do for them. They come for ministries, 
for the activities. They like the church. They phileo the church, but they don't agape the church. The minute their connection with the church involves unconditional acceptance of others, they're gone. I've seen it over and over. People will love you as the pastor. You do one thing they don't like, and they won't even talk to you. They'll avoid you like the plague. You can go to them and talk to them. Say, what did I do? I'll try to forgive. I'll repent. More times than you can imagine, they won't. You know why? Absence of God's love. Because I don't know about you, how many of you think God loves you because you're so wonderful? Because you're such an asset to his kingdom that he can't operate the kingdom of God without you. So he just happens to love you because you're so needed. God don't need anybody. God chooses us because he loves us. He loves us when we're unlovable. He loves us when we're doing the worst things we can imagine. The same he loves us when you're blessing, when you're fixing things, when you're accomplishing things, when you're involved with all the activities and all the ministries and you're doing everything he wants you to do. He doesn't love you any more than than he did when he found you in your sin and saved you. You see, it's the church who endures. You know what happens at church? When the church and your affection, the thing that attracts you to the church is ministry and music and a preacher and gifts that God gave that church to do ministry, to produce activities that His grace all accomplished is what made you come there and you don't evolve into a loving relationship with people, you won't value that church any more than you valued the last one you left. And the minute that church doesn't accomplish what you're looking for, what you expected it to do, you'll go find another one. It happens every Sunday. It's disguised with, well, we're not getting fed here. There's nothing for our kids here anymore. I just don't agree with them anymore. Friends, I don't know about you, but what keeps me going is something that has happened to me I can't explain. I can't help it. I love Jesus. How about y'all? I don't love him near like he deserves me to love him, but I love him more than I can ever find anything else in this world to love. I can't go away. I love the church. I like this saying. I heard it once. I'll say it on and on. If the church ain't your mama, the Lord ain't your father. They come together. And if you can't love your brother that you can see, the Bible says, how can you love your God who you can't see? The question is, what kind of love is God talking about? He's not talking about phileo love. You have an affection for him. I love my family. We just got to go hang out with them. Some of them, I wonder why I love, huh, sissy? (laughs) But we love them. But that's not the kind of love God's talking about. He's talking about the kind of love he showed us when he came and found us in our sin. And we were as corrupted and ungodly and weak in our failures as ever. And he said, I'll save you if you believe me enough to trust my son, that I love you enough that I gave my son and my son loves you enough that he gave. Jesus said that, that 
there's no greater love than you give your life for your friend. That's the love of God. And friends, that love doesn't just happen. That love has to be pursued. You have to pursue it. You have to desire it. You want it. See, listen to what he said in those passages. We, we, we was on just a while ago. If you look at the full translations, he says, pursue love, follow the way of love. Let love be your highest goal. Now, how many of us are trying to improve our love in the church? Because I want you to think about this. If we're saved, we're born again. And if we're born again, that means we're born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you. And so if you're saved, if He ain't in you, then you ain't got nothing to worry about because you just need to live it up, have carnal fun, get all the world has to offer because when you die, you're going to go to hell anyway. But if you are saved, you're born again, and God's Spirit is in you. He sealed you into the day of redemption. And if His Spirit is in you, then you have the ability to bear fruit. Not from church, not from you, but from God. The fruit of the Spirit. Do y'all see what the first one is? Love. If you're where you're supposed to be with God, using your life the way He intended you to use it, and you're submitted to Him, not perfect, but surrendered in submission to Christ, these are going to be realities in our lives. But in many times, there is none. But look at that. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Most people don't believe that's all of them. Paul listed nine. That's enough to keep me prayed up and begging God for my forgiveness, ain't it? But that's what the Spirit does in us. But you've got to pursue that. You've got to follow Jesus. You've got to pursue the things Jesus wants to do in your life. And I want you to turn with me, and we're going to close. We're almost through. To 2 Peter, and I want to show you something this morning. If you are saved, and you're born again, and the Spirit of God lives in you, then you have been given His divine power. He's given you enablements that are spiritual gifts, and He's given you fruits that are spiritual attributes. They all reflect Jesus. And they come from His divine nature being put in you. Now look at what it says, those of you who've got a Bible, you'll, you'll be able to remember this and look at it and learn better. But for those who don't, I put it up there for you can see. I ain't making this up. But look at what He says in the beginning of 2 Peter, first verse. To those who obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can find it. And look at what he says. Grace and peace, verse 2, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus as his divine power has given to us all things, and it's on the screen, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now I want you to see what he's saying. He's saying that through the knowledge of Christ, by being saved and having saving faith, His divine power has given to us all the things that are needed to pertain to life and godliness. If that blows your mind, that He gave us that divine power, what is that divine power given to us so that it can produce His divine nature, the very nature of God? Now, don't go around telling people, Marvin said He's God. I ain't God. But I have it in me through Christ to become like God to be Christ-like, to replicate the things that make God who He is. 
Because look at what he says. By which, verse 4, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers. There it is. That through these you will, we will, may be partakers of the divine nature. Now the divine nature, when we get saved, we don't have it. <laughs> but as you walk with Christ in submission to Christ and obedience to Christ and you grow and love is operating in your heart, it's going to produce in you some things. And I want you to see what it says here. Now how many of you if I was to say, you don't have the love of God in your heart, would get offended. Most Baptists would. But I'm here to tell you, I don't find, and I'm preaching to me, many of us that have the love of God. We have a love. We have a type of love. We have a portion. We have a smidgen. Some of us have more of the love of God than others, but very few of us have even close to all the love of God that we could have. We have a, a love that we compare to others, a love that we look at through the, the worldly understanding of love. But remember, love suffers long. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't provo provoke. Love is way beyond what we usually think of as love. But I want you to think about this. How hard is it to get to this place of pursuit, to find this chief goal of love that Paul's talking about? Well, if you look here, I want you to see it with me. Look at verse 5. But also for this very reason, what reason? Because we have his divine power that's been given to us that pertains to life and godliness, and that through these things we have, can become partakers of his divine nature. But also for this very reason, give all diligence, add to your faith. That's where it all starts. That's the lowest place. That's the first step on the spiritual ladder. And add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? Moral excellence. Sinlessness. That's the next step on this ladder. And, and look, as we, we, we go up to becoming who God wants us to be, but also for this very of giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge. And as you increase in knowledge, add to your knowledge self-control. And to your self-control, add perseverance and to perseverance, godliness. I don't know about y'all, but if I ever got to perseverance and godliness, I'd think I made it, amen? You're godly. But did you see what the next two are? And from that, faith, moral excellence, virtue, knowledge, perseverance, godliness. Finally, we get to just brotherly kindness, which is the lower form of love in the Bible. And then he says, love, the last thing. Love, what kind of love? Agape love, if you get a Bible and look it up. You see, love isn't hard, easy to, to, to get. Love is the highest level of spiritual ladder you can climb. The love of Jesus. Now, if we're honest today, very few churches operate with the gifts. Very few operate with the love of Christ. What does the love of Christ look like? If there's anybody in this church this morning that you don't like, you ain't got it. If there's anybody in this church this morning that you can't go up and love and hug and say, I love you, my brother or my sister, you ain't got it. If there's anybody in this church that you avoid, that you don't want to help, you're a long ways from this love. But outside of that, the Bible says that we are to love our enemies. 
And friends, listen, this love is way more than what we think. And it only comes from a relationship with Jesus that is more than just coming to church, more than just being religious, more than being committed to a ministry or an activity to do things in the church. It only comes from being committed to a person. And his name is Jesus. And when we are right with Jesus, we will exemplify these things we talked about. But it doesn't break our hearts. It doesn't even bother our spirit. Most of us will leave, and before we get in the car, what will be on our mind is lunch. And before you get home, all of this will be gone, and you'll be the same. How many want to change? How many of you is tired of business as usual? I don't know about y'all, but it's got to start with me. Pray for me because I don't have it. Somewhere along the line, I've lost it, but I want it. I love y'all. I care for y'all. I'm affectionate for y'all. But I don't think and know if I love y'all the way Jesus says I should. And I wonder sometimes if people love us the way they should. Today, I want to ask you to just let Jesus do a spiritual MRI of your heart and say, Lord, show me where I am on this love thing because I want to love people like Jesus. When we pick certain parts in the church to like more than others, we value some less than others, then love's not what we're operating under because we're all valuable equally through the love of God. I'm going to read this, and then I promise you we're going to close. Paul said this about love, and he said a lot. This comes from Romans, and it's in the context of spiritual gifts again in Romans 12. Listen to what he said. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, but cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Continue steadfastly in prayer and distribute to the needs of the saints and be given to hospitality. We're to be hospitable. What makes all of that possible? Love. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When somebody's rejoicing in the church, we ought to rejoice. When somebody's hurt and weeping, we ought to be weeping. You see, because it says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on higher things, but associate with the lowly things. And do not be wise in your own opinion. Listen to what it says. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath to God. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May I tell you, love always wins. Love never fails, Paul said. Love endures. Love overcomes evil. Look what Jesus did. The greatest picture of this type of love I can ever show you is when Jesus was on the cross.
And they said, if you're the Son of God, come down off that cross. If you who you say you are, prove who you are. And they made fun of him, and they laughed at him, and they taunted him. And Jesus looked at him and said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's love. That's God's love. That's the love that a church will never wonder about. Money, ministry, or people. You couldn't keep them out of a church like that because they would come for miles to be in that place where God's love is the foundation of everything we do. Father in heaven, as we prepare for an invitation, Lord, we all lack in love. We all need more of it. We thank you that you're willing to love us where we're at today. Some of us are in a good place. Some of us are in a bad. Many of us are in between, but you know each need. You know every heart. You know those of us who love each other the way you love us and the way we should, and you know those who are struggling. So, Lord, we just present our hearts to you this morning. We pray first you to empty them, that you'd clean them out, that you'd reveal and remove anything that shouldn't be in it so that you might fill it with what you want to be there. And fill us, Lord, with the love of Almighty God. And may we leave this place different than we came. Amen.